0: we're off to a great start. During a time like we just had, it's easy to immediately go into resting, right? And just resting in everything that God's already done. That is a great thing to do, but you're not going to do it yet. You can rest in all of the goodness of the Lord later on today, after we're done with this message today, because there is something really important about what just happened. We just saw redemption Manifesting absolutely in this room. This is what this is what it looks like. The whole, this is what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be doing a work in families and in the hearts of people coming out of generational curses and damage and and uh, demonization. Everything, everything. God is redeeming all of that stuff, and it happened right here this morning. Did y'all see that? Yeah. Did it happen to you? Come on, yeah. give a shout of praise if you feel like you got redeemed this morning. Yeah. Hey, last week, last week, the pastors preached a message called The Heat of Battle, Praise is a Weapon. Come on. That is what it looks like whenever we start setting a tone in this community of people of praising before we even see the actual battle won. Then we have things happen like what happened today. When you show up to the battle, it doesn't hardly take any effort at all. You go and you receive what God is doing, and then you get to thank him for it while he's doing the hard work for you. Right? Amen. Right, Wesley? Come on, dude. Amen. Last week, the pastors preached on the, not only that praise is a weapon, but that these are things that are important to remember during the heat of battle. Every every single season of our life has different things going on in it, but we're always making forward movement on the earth and for Christ's kingdom, amen? What that requires though, is if we are not going to just receive what the Lord did this morning and what he's been doing among these people for the last five years. But if we're going to keep it and we're going to multiply it, we are going to need a brotherhood that holds the line. So today, today's message is the heat of battle. Say the heat of battle. Brothers, hold the line. Say brothers, hold the line. There is a goodness from the Lord that you just received this morning. He knew exactly how to order these things today. You can't make this stuff up. The breakthrough that you just received today, the breakthrough that you just saw one of your neighbors receive today, that has to be preserved and guarded among the people of God so that there is nothing, there is no ground given back to the enemy after Jesus has taken it back. Amen? The way that that happens is through forfeiture among the people of God. We do not have an enemy that outsmarts God. We do not have an enemy that will even outsmart a spirit-filled man or woman of God. But when we forfeit that ground to them, that is whenever we start having an issue. So today, we are going to share with every one of you in the room today what it looks like for brothers who hold the line. Let me tell you guys that life without the brotherhood in Christ is not possible we have tried for a long time to be able to do this thing by ourselves we've tried for a long time to try to do it in a business structure we've tried for a long time to do it like a bunch of roaming prophets without the brotherhood of the kingdom of god these things are not possible say brotherhood, brotherhood. psalm 133 verses one three th- verses one through three my tank got tangled up Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Say amen. Amen. It is like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, the blessing of life forevermore. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity or in some translations in adversity. We're going to get to talk a lot about that today.
1: Do you guys remember Pastor Kaysen's beautiful heart-wrenching message about being friends with God? Friends love at all times, as Proverbs 17 says, and friends are important. Brothers are important being a friend of Yeshua might be more important. But today, we're talking about brothers. Amen. And brothers are born for war and they are born in war. Yeah. Brothers hold the front line together, shoulder to shoulder, men in the room. Do you love your brothers? Yeah. Do you really, really love your brothers? Yes! Ladies, do you love your sisters? Yeah.
0: This Whoa. message is for
1: you, wow, Hallelujah. hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I need to hear you again, men in the room. Do you love your brothers? Man, that's enough to I've wake I've been waiting
0: daughter. five years for that.
1: That's enough to wake the kid next door over there from his nap. Listen, before we can talk about brothers holding the line, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, we need to do a bit of foundation prep with you. Do you remember the last time that we went over some Paleo-Hebrew? Probably when Pastor Kaysen preached, because I don't remember the last time, so I was asking you to see if you remember. But we have a slide for you. We're going to define the word brother for you in the Paleo-Hebrew. Oh, there it is. Christopher, can you say that word? Ah. Everybody say it. Ah! That's Strong's number. That's Strong's H two fifty-one. Ah! You have the Aleph in the Chet. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. I'm nice. getting better. The chet. The first or sorry and here was read backwards. So the second letter being strong. The first letter being chet means tent, fence, or border. Which tells us what? That our brothers are our strong fences or borders. Amen. Come on. When I say Kason is my brother, he is my border. He is the fence around me that helps protect me and guard me at all times. This is why brothers stand shoulder to shoulder.
0: Yeah. If a brother is a strong fence or a strong border, one that guards, then genuine brotherhood comes from uh, genuine brotherhood produces a strong house and a strong house creates a strong defense. Now, whenever I say house, do not think about the structural nature of this house. Think about the house of remnant church. Think about the house being the people that make up this home right here in this room. If a genuine brotherhood creates a strong house, a strong home, a strong community of people, then that creates a strong defense. I'm telling you, there is no inanimate object on this earth that will defend you greater than a genuine brotherhood. Therefore, to have a strong defense against all types of attacks, we in our here, this home, this house, this family, we must be strong. Amen. We, when we are brothers, together holding the line will be the very force that holds off many enemies and even discourages many types of attacks before they ever even happen. Can you imagine that there is a warfare going on in a realm that you cannot see with your physical eyes and that there are missiles, there are attacks that are that are defended that you don't even feel, see, or experience because you have someone who is in intercession for you daily. Someone who hears from a distance the sounds of shots being fired and they go and they intercept it before it ever even gets to you so you don't feel it. This is what a genuine brotherhood does. Your brothers are the border around you that keep you within the right battlefield. They also act as a shield around you and a strong border to help watch your six. You know what your six is? To help watch your back and protect your blind sides. Together, say together, together you make one big border that holds the battle line in the face of adversity abel was cain's brother but as pastor devin preached a few weeks ago cain got frustrated with him and killed him although he was never say never, never the enemy seth on the other hand refused to bend And he held the line. Even when brothers before him did not hold the line, it takes one man of God to step up for his family, to step up for his friends, and begin to show what it looks like to hold the line. And it changes the entire course of generations. In the heat of battle, your brother is not your enemy. He stands on the front lines with you. Say, hold the line.
1: Hold the line. Married folks in here. When you are fighting with your spouse, because that never happens, when you are fighting with your spouse and you're fighting for shalom within your home, are you each other's enemy? No. No. You are working together to fight against the enemy and establish your shalom. If this is true for a husband and a wife, then why would it be different for brothers in this room? It's not. It's not different for brothers. You are not each other's enemy, you are each other's borders. You are fighting alongside your brother to keep them within their boundaries, within their shalom. A great example of this is the story of Jonathan and David. And to spare you more than half of 1 Samuel, I won't read you the entire book. I know it's disappointing. But I will read to you the very beginning of 2 Samuel where David sums up his relationship with Jonathan after Jonathan and his father Saul had been killed. Second Samuel 1, 25-26 says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lays slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Whoa. Whoa. That word... For brother in Hebrew is ach, ach. A strong border. I am distressed for you, my strong border of a brother. For very pleasant you have been to me. Your love surpassed the love of women. Y'all know Solomon, I mean not, excuse me, well, Solomon had a lot of wives too. But David had a lot of wives. He had a lot of women in it. We don't talk about that today. But I make the point to say. That he was compelled and convinced that the love that his brother had for him was sweeter and greater than any love he'd ever received from any woman. This is the kind of love that brothers are supposed to have for each other. And the kind of love you're supposed to give and receive from each other. It's a love that's given through action. Jonathan was David's strong border. David could have cut off all communication with Jonathan. Because his father was Saul, and Saul spent half of 1 Samuel attacking and chasing after David. But what did Jonathan and David do? They strengthened their covenant together. They bound their hearts together. One firm foundation and said, we will not be moved. We are brothers. They knit their souls together. Jonathan had proven that he had David's best interest in mind. Therefore, their relationship could not be shaken. No wonder Proverbs 17 says brothers are born for adversity. You think Solomon knew about his father's relationship with Jonathan? Listen, your brothers are not your enemy. See, so you say that. My brothers are not my enemy. In the heat of the battle, this is the truth. It's the truth all of you in this room need to grasp today because though it may not be our main point this morning, it is a staple in our message that you have to get before we move on. We must start by addressing it because it's pivotal for the carry out for the rest of our message. It's time to fix our vision and our hearts in this place this morning regarding our brothers and our sisters. In the heat of the battle, praise is your offensive weapon, but we still need to have a strong defense. And strong defense against the schemes of the enemy looks like brothers holding the line together. Your brothers are ones who can be trusted. They can be relied upon. They can be found trustworthy and act as a border around you. You stand in the gap between your brother and his enemy. And they stand in the gap between you and your enemies. They protect you from the flames the enemy is throwing at you.
0: Come on. First Corinthians. I'm sorry, not Corinthians. First Chronicles, chapter 11, verse 15 says three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam. When the army of when the army of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, David was then in the stronghold and in the garrison of the Philistines. And the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it, therefore he would not drink it. These things things did the three mighty men. Whenever you have a genuine brotherhood that is at work among a, a community of the people of God, You have the kind of brothers that just hear that voice of longing come out of your mouth. They just hear that one little thing that you said that one time and it shows up to you the next day and you're like, how did you know I wanted this? And they're not even interested in explaining it to you. You have the kind of brothers that will go and break through a line of enemies if it means just getting you your favorite water. Y'all, we have made relationships to be so shallow today. We've made brotherhood to be so shallow today. And this is the kind of brotherhood that, that where men of God, where women of God will long for one another. And will live to bless one another in such a way that it, it will seem reckless. It'll seem reckless. It'll seem foolishness at times. It'll look like you emptying out the last dollars of your bank account if it means just feeding one of best friends. If it means just if it means just getting that quality time together, if it means just getting to bless them and you show them how much you love them. It looks irrational at times, just like it did for these mighty men of God.
1: We're going to do one more before we get into the meat of the message this morning. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A false, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Again, the same word for brother is used, strong border. One who sows discord amongst your strong borders. Listen, we love to camp in the first few passages of this verse you know, don't lie, don't murder, don't do all the things that you would expect not to do. But the last one, the seventh one is an abomination to the Lord. One who sows discord amongst his brothers. This is because brothers are not meant to be disunified. It goes against the creation of the Lord and your relationship for you and your brother to be disunified. It's completely against it. It does not work. You are supposed to hold the line together with your brothers. Listen, this morning, remnant church will, say will, will be full of men and women of God who are unified amongst each other and who hold the line for each other's sake. We have to be, or we will never be able to properly advance within the next generation coming behind us. Are y'all ready to continue in the word this morning? Like really ready? Yeah. Like worship made you so hungry that you're really ready? Yeah. Y'all turn to Second Kings 11. When you get there, say, hold the line.
0: so artistic.
1: That's a sick background we have up there. I like it. Anyways, second king 11, are you there? Yeah. Starting in verse 1. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jeram, sister of Ahaziah took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. Wow. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid from Athaliah so that, she was not, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Wow. Listen, we're going to be pulling everywhere from the word today. But for context sake, let me give you just a few points here. That will help you understand as we move on. Oh Hold that line, boy. Listen. Listen, Athalia is Jezebel's daughter. If that paints a picture for you. So it should not surprise you to read that she's after the blood of the royal family. She's following well in the footsteps of her mother. It is during this time in 2 Kings 11 that she is currently the reigning queen over Judah. Ahaziah, her son, was previously on the throne before he was killed. And after he died, she went and killed off all the rest of the royal family so she could usurp the throne and take over reign. Similar to the story of Moses, the rightful king of Judah, being Joash, as a baby, was taken from the royal family and hidden off to the side for protection to keep safe until the time it was deemed he become king. Don't let... All the genealogies and the fancy Hebrew names confuse you. That's not the point here. The point is that Joash is the rightful king of Judah. And Athaliah killed all of his siblings and all of his family's offspring so she could take the throne. Yet Joash was hidden. Picking up in verse 4. Verse 4 says, but in the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada, say Jehoiada, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And then he showed them the king's son. Remember, no one knows that Joash is alive. He calls in the guards, says, Listen, we have a deal here. We're making an oath right now. We're making a covenant. We're on the same page. Okay. Number one. Protect at all costs. He brings the king out. Can you imagine the guards, like, dude, I thought everyone was dead. We're protecting this little boy. He's the king. No one knew he was alive. This is the thing that you shall do, he commanded them. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and the third at the gate behind the guards, all of you shall guard the palace. And the other divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround him, each with his weapons in hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So Jehoiada here is stationing hundreds of men around a seven-year-old to protect him. The rightful king to the throne, a seven-year-old protect his life at all costs he's putting men in place to hold the front lines and he ends up commanding those same men on the front lines listen if anyone approaches the line he didn't give much context anyone means anyone if anyone approaches the line put him to death immediately on the spot that's how serious we are about holding the line the captains did continuing in verse 9 the captains did all that Jehoiada the priest had commanded them to do And then they brought each of their men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapon in hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house, on behalf of the king. Talk about an army of men surrounding a seven-year-old. That's a lot of men surrounding King Joash. Last he says, then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. Listen, as we get into our message this morning, Jehoiada the priest made a covenant with God and with a group of brothers to hold the line. Yeah. And preserve the seed of David. We, like those brothers, have received instruction and direction from our high priest in heaven that we must do the very same thing. These men stood strong all the way around the temple and around the king, protecting him and holding the line. This morning, in the heat of battle, brothers hold the line. This morning, we're going to give you five reasons say, five reasons, five reasons that why we as brothers should hold the line and why it's important. For us to hold the line. Are y'all ready? Yeah. This is a great message to take notes on. Like you could it would impress us if you came back to us tonight and preached the whole thing back to us. Oh. <laughs> I Amen. challenge you to do it.
0: Hallelujah. Our first point today, and how why brothers hold the line is actually for your own sake. Say for my own sake. For my own sake. And Joshua chapter 23 verse 8 it says but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations to this day no one has been able to withstand you one of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised To speak of a multitude of brothers, whenever we make brother to be plural and we have brothers, it requires a unifying of many individuals. We can speak of the corporate brotherhood all we want, but it requires that individual men and women of God make a decision in their hearts today that I will show up for the day of battle. I will show up for the fight. I will show up to do the work today then we can have multiple then we can have unity then we can have many of us and have a brotherhood and not just have one man or one woman of God you could not have a team without individuals who have decided in their own hearts to show up in Joshua's day there was a vast army but these men a new generation that was full of faith just like you decided in their own hearts to bind themselves to one another for the purpose of seeing the promises of God established on the earth. God had made promises to Israel that they would inherit a land. They had made promises to the fathers who had come out of Egypt that their generations would inherit a land called Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land for them that will be theirs forever and ever and ever But there is no way to accomplish it as an individual man. There is no way to accomplish it whenever you're being flaky in relationships. There's no way to accomplish inheriting the promise that God has for your family trying to do it by yourself. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the other one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another there to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Men of God in this room, do you have, do we have two, do we have even two in this room who will decide for themselves this day that no matter the cost, they will leave their, that they will not leave their brother next to them to fight on their own? Come on, do we have even two in this room? We must have men right here in this room. You decide in your heart, stop assuming that you're a part of the corporate work whenever you haven't made a decision in your own heart today to be a participant in it. You must show up in and of yourself, and then we will have a plurality of us who fight together. The God-ordained leaders in this room will preach, practice, and exemplify this all the days of our lives, but to see a brotherhood that holds the line, we must be a room full of men who have each determined in our individual hearts that these men that you see to your left and right, they're families next to me. And, and the perpetuation of the culture of our, King, of our Christ and of, and of his kingdom is more important than any comfort, any nicety, and certainly my own life. You have to decide that these things are more important than any comfort in your life. I'm telling you, there is a culture that comes from Yeshua himself and perpetuates in his kingdom and goes throughout the earth and will reign forever and ever at the end of this age that we need to be living in right now. Because it's how we see his kingdom develop here among us. You must know this today. You will have no ground gained, no lasting fruit, and no generational impact if it is done outside the God-ordained pattern, a brotherhood that guards the way to life. Ecclesiastes says it. Without one another, we are hopeless, vulnerable, prone to death, and even a threat to the accomplishment of the will of God in the land where you have been planted. People say, oh, well, you, nobody can stop God and his plans. Sure you can. Sure you can. Will he win and reign? Has he already won the whole war? Absolutely. Can you inhibit progress in the land around you by continuing to teach other people by your words and by your actions an individual kind of Christianity? Yes you can. You can inhibit the development of the kingdom right here in this land around you. People do it professionally and make six digits doing it every day. As long as you just show up, put your money in the bucket and listen to a good word, then we'll all be Christians together. It's not brotherhood. Until you Pastor Landon just read out of read our central passage for the day. A Karite was originally a mercenary soldier. They were literally there because David was paying them to be there. But look at who was still standing there whenever everything hits the fan and now the entire royal family is getting killed. You got Levites and men who were once hired hands working together saying, I would rather die than see the last of the Davidic line killed off. I will die long before this little boy dies. Cause this, and this is the hope of the perpetuation of the culture of the kingdom of Israel. Because that witch who is on the throne in this kingdom right now is not, does not represent who we are. And if we're going to see something different happen, we're going, we're going to have to stand and hold the line together. This is the first reality, reality today. We must be a brotherhood that holds the line. For without this, we as individual men and women of God will never see the fruit of God's seed multiplied in each of our own lives. So this leaves no room for selfish thoughts. Say no room. No room. Your best route to success is just as our Christ portrayed was described of him in Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my job, says the apostle, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So we prophesy this over you today. Over you, over you, over you. This will be a house of men where one routs a thousand soldiers. Joe Gizzy will stand up and a thousand enemies will flee before him because he decided to stand up. But whenever Joe, Gizzy, and Wesley stand up together, when Avery stands with them, when Morgan, when John, when every single one of us stand together and hold the line, then there is not an enemy from hell that stands a chance. There is not an enemy on this earth that stands a chance. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 9, it says, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. As he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, so all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will be afraid of you. I'm telling you, they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. Come on, for you to receive the benefits, the abundance, the blessings, and the victory of the kingdom, you must be a brother who shows up to hold the line with the other brothers. Amen?
1: Listen, the brotherhood of God. Starts with an individual committing his life to the brother next to him, linking arms on the line. The brotherhood continues and the brotherhood grows as many brothers come together for the sake of each other. Our second point this morning. Hold the line for the sake of the brothers. Say, for the sake of the brothers. For the sake of the brothers. Hebrews 10, 23-25 says... Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Man, Hebrews was written a long time ago. The writer of Hebrews then said all the more as the day approaches. Saints, we are as close today to the return of our creation's king as history has ever been. Today we are as close as we will ever, not ever be, as close as we've ever been. The brotherhood should be advancing more and more each day if it was true in the time of the Hebrews. Why would it not be true for remnant church today? We should be able to look at the brotherhood of Christ, not just here, but all around the globe and see that it's far more advanced than it was 2,000 years ago. Sounds like we have some work to do, do we not? Listen, we are making this point to you today. You are holding the line for the sake of the brother next to you. At this point, you've realized it was never actually about you. It was never actually about you. Although first, you did have to learn how important it was to join your brothers on the front line for your own sake. Because you wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for your brother's. But now that you've moved past that, you're realizing it's actually about each other, holding the line so you can watch your brother succeed. Listen, really quick point. Your brothers are not expendable. Your brothers are not expendable. There are no replacements. The brothers you see in this room will only be added to, not be replaced. The brothers you see in this room are who you do life with every day. We have to get this. When you and your brother are fighting or arguing, they are not expendable. You don't get to hit replace. They are your livelihood. They protect your livelihood. They stand next to you on the front line, shoulder to shoulder. You trust them with your life. They trust you with theirs. We hold the line so we can succeed together. Now I'm going to do it. So think of a football team. Think of it. Pastor Case and I were talking the other night. It's crazy, how, it's crazy how sports resemble a lot of true biblical foundations, even more than some Christians do today. I'm not saying you go take that and run with it as gospel. I'm just saying I've noticed it, okay? And in this particular case, think about the offensive side of a football team. You have your quarterback, distributor of the offense. You have your wide receivers and your running backs, the ones who carry out the commands of the quarterback. And then you have your linemen. Somebody say big men. Big men. who are up front, who are the most pivotal piece of the entire offense. Because, listen, you can have the best distributor. You can have the best quarterback. You can have the best core to carry out your entire offense. But if you're big men who hold the line... Listen to me. If your big men who hold the line are the equivalent of the Denton City landfill on a hot, steamy afternoon, you cannot do jack squat as an offensive unit. He,
0: he's saying if they, if they stink, whatever other word you were thinking of that you smell at the Denton landfill, don't.
1: He's acting as my border and my guard. You see that? Listen. In football, linemen guard a man who's trying to decide where to put a football. In the kingdom, we hold the line and we guard each other's livelihood. We preserve generations. We preserve the seed of the testimony. We preserve the culture and the perpetuation of the kingdom to come, not a football. How much more important is it for us today? Practically, holding the line for your brothers looks just like Bruce describes it. Spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Brothers, hang out with each other. Sisters, hang out with each other. Encourage one another more and more every day. Yeah. First Thessalonians 5, 14 through 15 says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Yeah. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that no one repays evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Come on. Listen, go
0: ahead. That means that whenever you have a brother that's holding the line with you and for you some days, whenever you're not as strong as you should be, you can't get mad and think of your brother as the enemy. He's holding you up whenever you're dropping your part in the line. Have you ever felt like you've been the one that's not holding the line that day? Have you ever felt like somebody else has had to step in and carry your weight for you? So don't be discouraged whenever a brother calls you out. Like, don't be falling asleep on the couch back there. Or don't sleep through a time whenever all of the men in your house are meeting together. Or don't be weak and compromised in your ego whenever a brother corrects you. See, we don't get offended as men of God whenever people say these things to us. Whenever foolish speech comes out. We don't get offended. We say, hold the line for me. I was dropping the ball today. Thank you, brother. I'm not going to go cry about it. I'm going to say thank you and step up and hold the line with you.
1: Listen, some of you in this place just need to serve your brothers. And that will cure the majority of your problems. Just serve your brothers. Put them first for once. Encourage them. Love on them. Admonish them. Correct them when needed. Put them first. Be Patient with them. Some of you need patience in this place. Be patient with them. It's what Yeshua did with his brothers. Scripture says that he came to serve and lay his life down. Pastor Kaysen just made the point, how many times have we personally dropped the line and our brothers had to hold it up for us? Why do we get frustrated when our brothers drop the line? How many times have we been in that spot? Stop getting frustrated with each other. You're not each other's enemy. Yeah. You are your brother on your left and your right is the only reason you can win. The only reason that you have a chance is because you have brothers standing next to you to encourage you. Listen, in a spiritual sense, holding the line for the sake of your brothers looks like spiritual warfare. Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say... Peace be within you. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will take my stand and I will say, Peace be within you. We are speaking life over them. We are speaking shalom over them. Listen, we speak to things as, that are not as though they are until they become our reality. Right? Interceding on behalf of your brothers. Prophetically speaking life over them when you do not see it in front of them. I don't care if they're acting like the devil that day. They are a born-again son and daughter of the living God, and they are your brother. You are intercepting the attacks of the enemy towards them and over them. That's what intercession is. You are cutting the line and saying, listen, no, you do not have my brother today. This attitude you're walking in, cut it out. It's not godly. We're holding the line together in this place. Listen, when you partner prayer with faith or trust-grounded obedience, you will become men. Who hold the line for your brother's sake we're building on this if you notice we're giving you five points this is only point number two we're building on this because without holding the line for your own sake you'll never grow and holding the line for your brother's sake and if we can't learn to line hold the line for our brother's sake then we'll never be able to hold the line for the brothers coming after us
0: yeah that makes us Ready for point three. And that's we hold the line for the sake of the generations. Is it clear to you guys today that we're not only talking to men, right? We're talking to the women of all ages here in the room today. That's you, Ellie. We are, yeah, go Ellie. We are fighting a war that is really aiming to take back the ground right after we have already made ground. Somebody might say I don't like how they're screaming at me today. It's loud. Or I don't like how intense they are about this. If you knew what it was like to for your life's passion to go with Where you don't even, not only do you not need to, you don't even want to get paid for it. You just want to spend the rest of your life seeing families redeemed. Seeing people go out of darkness into glorious light. When that's what the passion of your life is. And then you see somebody after they have tasted of the goodness of God. Get overtaken again in darkness. I'm telling you, you will have the intensity that we have. There is nothing That is as infuriating, there is nothing that will make a righteous hate and anger come out of me more than against the enemies that will drag my brothers and sisters back into darkness. I'm telling you, this intensity is here because there is a work happening where, just like the Lord was prophesying over your family earlier, You've been standing in the middle of a field unguarded, sleepless at night, unable to defend yourselves, worrying if you're going to make it another day. But whenever we do this together, then we can sleep at night. Then we can gain ground and not be worried about losing it anymore. Come on. This is what we've been missing in church our entire lives is every time we gain ground, it gets forfeited back to the enemy again because there was no one on third watch while we were sleeping. There was no one praying for you whenever you finally made ground. This is what we have here in this community. Amen. We are doing this not just for the grown adult men and women in this church. We're doing it for our children. We're doing it for the generations to come. Those who are already sitting in this room today and those who are are in the womb right now and then those who will come into the womb in the years to come we do it for these things you have to know that none of these promises will be accomplished in your own life if you are not a brother who holds the line with other brothers and you have to know that it's not about you and that you are doing it for your brothers but you know what's if if i ask pastor devin If it comes down to guarding you in your life, what is the most important treasure in your life that you would ask me to guard? He would immediately say, Jamie and Zion and Zadok. Immediately. The the one who procreates generations and the generations to come. His beloved wife and his sons and daughters possibly to come. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> In Second Kings chapter eleven, verses four, just like what we read this morning as our central point, it says, "In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, the Kerites, and the guards, had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. Remember, Jehoiada is the older priest." who has made a covenant to guard young little King Joash until he comes of age so that he can take the throne back. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed the king's son. (laughs) He commanded them saying, this is what you are to do. You who are in three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third at the Gate, and a third at the gate behind the guard who take turns guarding the temple. And you who are in the other two companies that normally go on Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king, each one of you with a weapon in hand. It is no light work being a soldier that never goes off guard. Who always has a weapon in hand and is always prepared to guard a brother, his family, and his offspring. So that you can see the culture of the kingdom continue on this earth. Just as the guards in 2 Kings chapter 11 who guarded Joash, the young king-to-be, whose life was at risk because of the evil leadership in the place at this time, so are you, a brotherhood of men who hold the line to protect the generations and the influence that God will bring on this earth through them. I'm telling you, as long as y'all stay close to me and my family, there will not be a day that I am not laboring for your benefit to guard your offspring. Whenever I come up and I say something regarding your offspring, it's not because I think my opinion is more important than yours. It's because I am watching over your family Pastor Landon, all of us are watching over your family because your family is our family. If you don't succeed, then I don't succeed. Then we don't succeed. If I sit there and watch my own brothers and their families get picked apart by the enemy, then I am failing my duty as a man of God say oh well, brother that's not that's not your responsibility that's that's their own life they got to answer to God for themselves yeah but I have to answer to God for every soul I watch falling away and the Lord is going to say what did you do and what happened to what happened to Cain am I my brother's keeper wow yeah yeah I'm not offended I'm I am quite literally <laughs> offense come on We're gonna change the word offense today. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. Pastor Mike's not even preaching, and he's doing wordplay over here. Like, don't. His. Hold the line. line. Distracting our sermon right now. It's so fun not having to put on a show for people on Sunday. We can just literally be a family in a room. If Israel was going to have hope for the Davidic king to continue on the throne, whose heart was not compromised, Joash being a little king whose heart was not compromised, if they wanted to see that, they would have to work together to hold the line and guard the way for the young one who would later reign. There are things that we will see. In our generation and the generation before me and my generation as well. There are works that we will see accomplished, but there are works that will not be accomplished in our generations. And we are looking to the little ones and saying, I will spend the rest of my life making offensive gains in the way that God has commanded me to, but I will never break the line and let the enemy through to the little ones who we are guarding. We are standing between the enemies ahead and the little ones behind. And how comforting is it to know that you, Morgan, that you, Avery, do not have to only think about your own kids and worry that no one else in your, ki- no one else in your life loves your kids like you do. You have a whole room full of men who love your kids like you do, who would rather, see them- would rather die themselves than see one of your children harmed. I'm telling you, this kind of love hardly exists on this planet today. And we're restoring it. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, it says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, the generations Talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. For if you are careful to keep all the commandments, which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you and will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. The days of our sons are multiplied when we defend them together. A true brother does not need to have his name on another young man or another young woman to be compelled by the Holy Spirit to guard, protect, and, pro- and propel that little one into the life that God intended for them. I don't need uh, your children I, to love them the way that I do. I don't need them to carry my name. It does not have to benefit my particular f- family line and my name. The name of Christ and of his and his kingdom is benefited whenever you and I guard one another's generations even to the death. Y'all remember whenever Jesus made a really well stout point regarding how important children are. In Matthew chapter 18 there were a few disciples who were arguing over, you know, who's the greatest and who's going to who who's the best disciple? Who's going to carry authority? Who's going to sit at the right hand? Who's going to... It says, at the time, the disciples in verse 1 came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> and he called a child to himself and set that child before them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven like you're arguing who's the best i'm telling you you might not even be in it yet you're having the wrong argument today whoever then humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes even one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is saying, listen here, punk. If you touch one of these little ones, in the name of my Father, I will sink you. Like a rock, and you're gonna wish you were getting drowned in the ocean. You're gonna wish you were getting drowned in the ocean. If you mess with one of the. Mm. Come on. Looking at Izzy right now, I'm like, dude, I swear. Ooh. If anybody,
1: if anybody
0: comes near, they're gonna get lit up. While in a dispute regarding the order of rank in the kingdom, Jesus responds with calling the little ones to him. He's like, We're going to get a lot of work done in this generation. Jesus could have said himself, and he brought a kid. If we as a brotherhood are not holding the line for the sake of guarding our generations, then we will just be eventually a bunch of men with a bunch of hoorah old stories of what happened 40 years ago, and we will never see on the earth again what happened 40 years ago. I refuse to be an old man telling old stories about what used to happen in the Spirit of God. I will not do it. I will guard your children, and you will, in Jesus' name, guard my children too so that we will not be old men telling old stories. We're going to watch our sons together. We're going to watch our daughters together. We're going to watch our grandsons and granddaughters together do greater works than we ever did. And we're going to be their biggest cheerleaders together. Come on, looking at Pops back here with his grandson. That's exactly how he's living. He's living right there as as his grandson's greatest support, greatest cheerleader, and greatest voice of authority in his life. And he said, I will not spend the rest of my days doing nothing. I'm going to make sure that you are put on right footing and I will make sure that you are launched in the direction that God has intended for you. Can you see the importance of children? Can you see the importance of guarding generations? And can you hear the intensity of Jesus' exhortation to anyone who dares threaten them? Come on, so we're getting tense today because this stuff is important.
1: <laughs> you right point number four? Yeah. Listen, we talked about how we must hold the line for the sake of ourselves. How we must hold the line for the sake of our brothers. How we must hold the line for the sake of the little ones coming after us and their little ones and their little ones and their little ones. Why? Because We must hold the line for the sake of the testimony. Amen. Say, hold the, line hold the line for the sake of the testimony. For the sake of the testimony. Revelation 12. Verse 17 says, 12, verse 17 says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman. and Chill, dang, chill. Now the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against who? Her offspring. The generations after. Those who keep God's commands and fast to their testimony about Jesus. In other words those who hold the line for the sake of the testimony holding the line for ourselves our brothers and the ones to follow us won't be worth much if we don't hold the line for the sake of the one who's worth the most the one who's worthy of everything the one who we are holding the line for ultimately when we as brothers do not love our lives so much as to shrink from death then we can properly, then we can properly hold the line for the sake of the testimony. Listen, we hold the line for the ones yet to be impacted by your testimony of who Yeshua is. That's what you do. You hold the line for the ones you meet on a Sunday afternoon at the square. You hold the line for the just one more soul, Lord, prayers. Wesley, you hold the line for the sake of your family. Yeah. Dylan T. you hold the line for the sake of your family. Yeah. Men in this room, ladies in this room, Allie, you hold the line for the sake of your family. We do not bend when it comes to defending the testimony in the face of war. In the midst of war, when it's at its toughest, when the battle is at its peak, we do not bend. Why? Because not only do the generations need to know what you are doing and what you're holding the line for. They have to, you have to have something to give the generations to follow you. You have to give the testimony to them so that they can even start walking how you're walking. A great example of this is found in Acts chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. hold the line for our brothers to be. Find verse 5. It says, on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John the Alexander and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Wow, he's standing before the entire government. And when they had sent them, Peter and John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do what you do? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people, listen here. If we are being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this man, by him this man is standing before you well. So what are we seeing? We're seeing Peter and John being questioned in, in the midst of a great council. Because they shared their testimony with someone. They held the line, shared their testimony with a brother, and he got healed just like that. Well, that's freaky. So we're going to bring you before the entire council. Didn't Jesus promise this would happen? Verse 11 says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. (laughs) Peter's a one bad dude, man. He's one bad dude looking in front of all the government officials and saying, you did this, you did this, you did this, yeah. but my God, my God, my Jesus. Ask my God. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Now when they saw the boldness, when they saw how strong they were holding the line and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing them who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they talked. They were like, okay, shut the doors. Let's talk. What shall we do with these guys? There's nothing against them that we can prove. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, we just have to tell them not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. So they called and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus at all, because that's going to fix it. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of my God to listen to you rather than him, you be the judge you be the judge for we cannot speak but we for we cannot but speak of what we haven't seen May we hold the line for the testimony we hold the line for the sake of the testimony acts four begins with peter and john being questioned and attacked in the middle of the great council for just a healing i mean like don't get me wrong that was a miracle but just a healing like They brought them something, they didn't, it's not like, well, at least not yet. There weren't thousands upon thousands of being saved right off the bat. One person, when one person got their life changed by your testimony, everyone loses their mind and calls you before the great council. And in the midst of testifying within the great council, they still continue to hold the line, not allowing the government officials to speak anything negatively against their testimony of Jesus. We can see that when we, as brothers, hold the line in the midst of adversity and attacks, we advance the kingdom through protecting the testimony of our great king. No matter the cost, brothers hold the line. Say, hold the line. line. No matter the cost, brothers hold the line for the sake of the testimony. Let's look at how Acts 4 ends, though they were told not to advance any further. What do you think they did? Uh, It's a safe bet they advanced. Pick up in verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There wasn't a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. (laughs) Listen, when the enemy is pressing us and pushing us to back down, we must refuse to back down, put up, or shut up, and we must stand firm and hold the line. It is a must this morning that we hold the line. Brothers of one heart and soul, knit together holding the line. When we do this, We will watch men and women around us outside of these walls be changed into very new creations by the testimony and power of Jesus. We have what they need. We have, say, I have what they need. Listen, we find the confidence and strength to give what they need when we do it together. When we do it together. And I mean that when you do something like evangelism together with a brother it's not as hard all of a sudden to go home by yourself and minister to your parents. Why? Because you just came out of fellowshipping with your brothers, doing what you're doing right now. You just happen to be doing it by yourself. Yeah. But it's not as scary anymore. Why? Because you were encouraged and strengthened by the brothers beforehand. Yeah. That's what it looks like. When we, are in one, when we are of one heart and soul amongst the brotherhood, as David was with Jonathan, as the men in First Kings... Excuse me, Second Kings 11 were in their defense of Joash, and as the apostles blatantly were here in Acts. The Lord will give us together the power, the confidence, and the grace it takes to see the life of the one in front of you transformed by your testimony of him, not your life of what he has done for you. Listen, as we start to come to our last point, brothers, hold the line for the sake of the testimony. And we do it together. Say together.
0: Together. We are about holding the line for our own sake. For to see the fulfillment of our own promises. Holding our line for the brothers' sake next to us. Holding the line for the generations that come after. And then holding the line for the testimony. If we're holding the line for the preservation of the generations then it's the testimony that creates more generations. And in an age where we are greatly lacking holy masculinity, we're speaking to both men and women today, but we're especially speaking to men today. We're going to have to have a generation of men who say, enough with it. I'm going to take hold of my testimonies and hold the line. We're, We're... We need a real class of men who will take hold of what creates generations and act like a man. That means not getting your little heart messed up when somebody corrects you. That means not getting your little ego messed up whenever somebody says, hey, you should think about doing this differently. That means that maybe consider... That what the world is missing so much of right now is a real man of God to stand up and to be holy and to be masculine in the way that God has ordained that to be at the same time. We need it desperately. All of these things, all of these things point to our fifth point today. And that's we hold the line to perpetuate the culture of the kingdom. Whenever you guard, whenever you see your promises fulfilled, it perpetuates the culture of Christ's kingdom because he's fulfilling promises according to his good pleasure for your good pleasure. And then we're seeing the earth changed. Whenever you see your brother's lives benefited, especially at your own cost, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see a perpetuation of the culture of Christ and of his kingdom. Whenever we have children guarded that are not defiled or carried away by enemies, but rather continue in greater measures what you gave to them, then we see the perpetuation of Christ and of his kingdom here on the earth. And whenever the testimony and the stories and the power of the authority of the word, the spoken word among God's people is guarded, is not defiled, and credit is not given anywhere, not to any man, not one man who writes a check, but credit is given to the Lord. Then we see a perpetuation of the culture of the kingdom. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy and says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold tightly to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Remnant Church, if we forfeit the way of life being developed among God's people in his kingdom, then we forfeit the perpetuation of the generations and the subsequent work. We will not actually see the work accomplished that's supposed to happen 100 years from now if you believe in the Lord with all your heart that he saved you from your sin, but then you drop it on the culture of the kingdom. The culture of the kingdom is what creates generations. The culture of the kingdom is what guards generations. The culture of the kingdom is what actually was being put back on the throne whenever little Joash is being guarded. There was an Israelite on the throne. There was an Israelite on the throne. And it's not just about it being a woman. There were righteous women of God who held the line when the men weren't doing it. Lord Jesus, it's happening all the time today too. There was a woman of Israel on the throne who was massacring her own family, her own lines, if it meant her getting to have all the authority. It was not the culture of the kingdom be killing sons for your own benefit. It is not the culture of the kingdom to sacrifice your generations so that you can feel more important today. It is not the culture of the kingdom that was on the throne, but there was a culture that they knew was planted inside a seven-year-old boy. And there were a few hundred men who said if that culture inside of him, if the love of Yahweh that David had, if there's even a tenth of it in this seven-year-old boy, I will die if it means guarding that. I'm telling you. A seven-year-old boy being a king and an heir to a throne doesn't look like much to live or die for. But whenever you know that there's a culture embedded in him that is not defiled from the rest of the world, then you know that in that little one holds the key to the next generation's salvation, and you will do anything for it. No man or woman in this room be mistaken today the kingdom is not a belief it is a way of life jesus said he is the way the truth and the life he's the way in that his followers called his followers were called followers of the way they were called the sect of the way he effectively says I am the halakha. I am how you walk it out. I am how, when you look at me, you see the kingdom. Yeah. That's what Jesus was saying. When you see how I live, you see the kingdom of my Father. Yeah. And you see it manifesting on the earth. He says, I am the truth. In, that, in a world that is forever warring over what truth is, he sums up all, that all truth is found in him. The God-man standing there living the way he was living. And that he's the life. And that outside of him, outside of his culture being perpetuated on the earth, there is no life at all. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how prosperous you are, Rome. It doesn't matter how prosperous you are. It doesn't matter how much money, opportunity, land of the free. It doesn't matter how free you are, if Christ is not in the center of it, you are a slave like everybody else, and probably worse. Men fought and died holding the line so that this country, even, could be those who have Christ at the middle of it. And somewhere along the way, the culture of the kingdom dissipated. I'm telling you, we are a generation of men. We are generations actually, of men here in this room today, all the way from miles to pops in this room today. We are generations of men who will hold the line and will see the culture of Christ and his kingdom flourish on the face of the earth. If we correctly determine today that the kingdom is that, it's a, it's a culture of Jesus, a way of life and not a belief, it's not a thought, it's not a feeling, Or not a theology or a circumstance, then we must hold the line and guard that. Because Isaiah 9 prophesied, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, God, as the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you, God, shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, like little Joash, huh? And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from now on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And it's going to happen in you. It's going to happen in you you, John, and in you, Tex, and in you, Wilson, and you, Joshua, you, Dylan, every one of us, we will hold the line, and we will see not just boys protected from wicked things, we will see a culture perpetuated, the very culture of Christ himself start to show up in our six-year-olds, our seven, our eight, our nine, our ten-year-olds are going to start looking more like Jesus than some of the preachers in their pulpits today. Come on. Landon, before I upset somebody, close this message.
1: (laughs) Hallelujah you go. Y'all staying with us.
0: Brothers are good fence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, together in the heat of battle, we hold the line. We hold the line for our brothers because well we need them. We hold the line with our brothers because they need us. At the end of the day, we hold the line for those who will come behind us so they can live another day. The seed, the body of Christ here on earth is preserved because we will hold the line. When we hold the line through genuine brotherhood, this culture of the kingdom will be perpetuated through all of creation. And we will finally see the return of our king and all of his glorious nature. Amen. Y'all lift your hands with me. mighty god mighty god we thank you lord for our brothers and our sisters in this room lord we thank you that we cannot do life without them we thank you that everyone in this room was a blessing to the next lord that all of our children to come are blessings father lord we pray your blessings over this room tonight father Lord, we pray that you would impact our hearts, Lord, that you would not let us so quickly forget the words you have spoken today or the things you have done in our hearts today, but that you would mark us this day, Lord, as brothers who hold the line in the heat of the battle when nothing else is going right, we hold the line. In the face of adversity, we as brothers hold the line. Lord, would you mark us in this place today, Father, for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of each other, for the sake of the ones coming after us, For the kingdom to perpetuate, Lord, would you do this in us? Would you start here with the remnant of men and women in Denton, Texas, Lord? Would you set this place ablaze and on fire this morning, Lord, as we go out? Lord, as we go out, would you set us on fire, Lord? Lord, we are expecting nothing less. Nothing less, Father. We expect you to light us up. We expect you to light us up, Father, and create in us a deep love, And desire to see these things fulfilled in us, Jesus. Mighty God, we say that we thank you. For you are worthy to be praised, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Mighty God, we say we love you, Lord. And it is in
0: your mighty name we pray this morning. Amen.